You need to get files into your edit system, or you need to get a file out of your edit system, or maybe you need to go out to tape for delivery. In any case, check out digitalservicestation.com. When we last left our heroes, they were locked into a terribly important discussion. Let's drop in on them again as they plot the future. Now from the Top Dog's Kennel in beautiful downtown Burbank, it's the Terrence and Phillips Show. Once again, thank you, Gary. Rest in peace. I'm Terrence Curran. And I'm Philip Hodgetts. And you're listening to The Terrence and Phillips Show. Again, yes. <laughs> Hopefully again. Yeah, we sort of picked up last time on some, some things that we're doing with Lumberjack with extracted keywords. And that's led me to do a whole lot of exploration about APIs, application programming interfaces. These are tools that anyone can call on to use, usually with some fee attached, to do a whole range of tasks that I, I thought we were probably fairly a few more years out from getting to. So give me an example of how you would use it. Well, I'm just talking about the APIs and then, you know, you can work out your own ways of using them. But there are things that, for example, there are a number of people who are doing speech-to-text. Mm-hmm. So as we mentioned last time, this is not the same as what Avid do with ScriptSync and PhraseFind because they use Nexidia's technology, a waveform matching technology <laughs> that requires you to know what you're searching for. It doesn't have any language associated with it. It doesn't have any any particular dialect associated okay. with it, it doesn't look at content at all. These are yeah, that's so purely it's, it's a, analog waveform. Yeah, matching so it's like okay. if you were a call center, you might be searching for people who are using certain terms that indicate they are disgruntled <laughs> yeah. for for quality assurance team methods. That's why this, all these recordings get analyzed for certain keywords and phrases, and that's Nexidia's primary market. Okay, and that's so, the one that, but that's not what you're that's into. not what we're talking about. These are things that actually are the beginnings of. Computer Insight, let's go with that. Okay. So there, and there are a number of them. There's IBM Watson, there's uh, Microsoft Cordana, there are individual APIs for different areas, the Monkey Learn, another sort of set of APIs. So there's everything here from speech to text to sentiment analysis. Uh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah. so keyword extraction, concept extraction, mm-hmm. and a fairly limited range. Concept extraction turned out not to be quite what I'd like it to be yet because – Really, concept extraction is what I'd like keyword extraction to be, mm-hmm. that it's really about this concept. It's not about this keyword. Yeah, that makes sense. Because the word has to – Because yeah. the word fire could be somebody's about to fire somebody, a gun at somebody or it could be a campfire. You know? Yes, it, yeah. Yeah, so you want that context of we're talking about a fire in the camp. Yes, and so these are – yeah. Okay. That's, that's not there yet. It can uh, – that was, I think – gee, I forget whose who set of APIs that was, but – that matched into certain categories. So it had automobiles and vehicles was a category. And so it could work out when a paragraph, it might never mention an automobile, but if it was about BMWs and Mercedes or driving on roads, it would know that that was about so automobiles. It was finding predefined yeah, categories. Of about 200, 300 categories, something okay. like that. Then we get into image recognition. So there are a number of APIs that will tell you what the content of an image is. Now that's got to be a slow process though. Well, not as slow as you'd think. Um, you know, yeah. there's a, a lot of these you can up, upload, and I, I should put some links in the in the show notes okay. uh, for people who want to explore more. But yeah, you can send uh, an image, and you'll get back a set of keywords based on that image. I found in that case that it gave me too many, oh. so you'd want to unique it back to the ones that were <laughs> com- most common in your project. Of course, because the picture's worth a thousand words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, a crowd and fireworks could be nighttime fireworks crowd. Yeah. Um, celebration, explosion, explosion. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you would get all these keywords back, mm-hmm. and these are for still images. So I'm not. I think one of them does that for video. Um, I think that was one of Microsoft Cordana. 
That um, just seems like that. That's what I'm saying. They would take a long time. It would be really processor mm, intensive. Uh, five seconds an image. Real, uh, per frame, then, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, yes, you would. Yeah. I think if you were looking to do the same thing on video, what you do is you sample every 10 seconds mm. and pull up the keywords for that 10-second area and mm-hmm. then unique them and, and extend and concatenate them with their adjacent keyword ranges. Facial recognition, facial detection. There's differences between whether there's a face in the shot and how uh-huh. many. And, and who it is. Who it is. Yeah. <laughs> long, long distance difference between that. A lot yeah. of distance difference between yeah. that. I mean, the fact that there's a face in the picture is what, uh, and the size of the face in the picture is what Final Cut 10 and other Apple software use to determine what type of shot, how wide the shot is. Oh, okay. There are cameras that not only detect where the faces are in the image to focus on them, but they also wait until everybody is smiling. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not only detecting that there's a face, but what a smile is. So where are we going? Oh, there's, there are emotion detection software that can look at the face and detect emotion mm-hmm. being used to test drive ads. You know, that's where we're at with this. But, so there are all of these technologies that exist right now that anyone can call up, uh, integrate into their application. There are billings associated with it, depending on the API and how many calls you're going to make every month and how much time you're going to transcribe. There are, you know, it's reasonably priced. It's enough that, that you could think about putting, integrating it into post-production processes. And this has been something that I've been looking for and pushing towards and, and how much of this can we do automatically. And mm-hmm. that brings us right back to your point of once we do all this automatically, who are we putting out of work? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're back to that again. <laughs> well, the lowest, uh, the lowest paid people seem to be the first ones to go, which is interesting. Yeah, I do think I do think feature film editors are going to be probably the last to be affected by any of this. Yeah, but th- this is the problem. People don't think about that. They go, oh, well, you know, I'll be safe because it'll be a long time before I can replace me. But if tens of millions of people are out of work, uh, what difference does it make? What your job, I mean, you know, who is that feature editor cutting features for when nobody has any money to watch them? Oh, so, that's an important point. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, it's, there is a tipping point where there's just so many people unemployed that it doesn't really matter if you technically have a job anymore because that job is going to go away too. I mean, just because of the entire infrastructure crumbling at some point. Yeah. So, uh, you know, of course, this is what I wish our politicians were talking about right now, but they won't, you know. They're too busy going, oh, I'm going to make jobs. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> out of magic. Yeah, out of and, magic. And yes. to convert lead to gold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. So you speak of which, for those of you who don't know, Philip just recently got his citizenship. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yes. And I'm sorry it had to be for this election. <laughs> well, I thought this may be the time for a vote to count. <laughs> Yeah, this is like the worst election ever. So I, I, it's, I really feel. I'd certainly prefer the candidate that I prefer to have my vote in rather than mm-hmm. and, and simply be sitting around watching it happen without any say. So that was definitely one of the factors. Mm-hmm. And I'm never going to live back in Australia again. You might as well make your home. Do you have dual citizenship or do they let you do that with their house? I haven't had to turn in my Australian passport. So technically you do? I don't know how it works. Well, technically I forswore fealty to all other rulers, principalities. So Okay. So you don't, you don't answer to the queen I anymore? I answer, don't answer the queen anymore. Okay. Um, but so, there's, so much for your 007 but, career. Yep. But... <laughs> But neither government requires me to give up the citizenship, oh, to okay. renounce the other citizenship. So. so you could still move back to Australia? I could, yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm not going to. Yeah, no, I'm just, well, <laughs> I always thought it would be nice to have that because if, for whatever reason, natural disaster or whatever, you know, one country goes completely upside down, it'd be easy to go if you're 
already a citizen of the other country. Well, and we'll have that situation where if, as long as Australia eventually recognises our marriage as being legitimate, oh, yeah, that, then yeah. you know, my spouse would have Australia. Well, he's got five years before he, once he gets his green card before he's got to make that decision. Oh, five years, wow. Yeah, you've That's... got to have a green card, permanent residence. You've got to have that for five years before you can make an application. For... Oh, okay. So I always said that if everything went according to plan, because my green card, I got the letter telling me that I'd been granted my green card on the day that Obama was elected mm. in November and then it arrived in the mail on the day that he was inaugurated in the January, so just in an odd synchronicity. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said at the time that, well, if everything went according to plan, then I would probably be able to have citizenship and vote for his successor after his second term. Mm-hmm. And that is what has come to pass. So that's, this, that's like seven years. Well, it's five five years, which put me past the re-election anyway. Right. That's uh, for the, and then you apply for it. Then you've got to apply for it. And, and how long does that take? Well, strangely enough, the federal government, the immigration service, was ridiculously caught up, quote, wow. unquote. Mm-hmm. And so the process that can normally take, expected to take three to six months, was done in less than three. Oh, wow. In fact, I think we filed close to the end of November – and I was sworn in in March. So you could do it in five and a half years, basically. You, After, you once you've got the green rough, card. yeah. Once okay. you've got the green card, that would be immediately turning it over and mm-hmm. doing straight into it. But yeah, wow. and then does Australia and Britain and Canada does that? Do they all open to each other then? Because they're all under the Queen. I mean, can you? No, they're Commonwealth countries, so there are slightly favourable immigration standards. I oh, think okay. that's why Graham Natras is in Canada. Okay, but I'm not sure. Maybe he just prefers Canada to the US for. Many reasons. <laughs> Being a family man, health coverage may be an important one. Yeah, yeah. Well, he seems to like the cold too. Well, yeah, see, I, I don't get, get that. I, you know. <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, yeah. no. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's a lot of lovely places in the world that I'd love to live in if the climate wasn't where it was. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Amsterdam would be one of those, but they get snow in winter, and Boston yeah. would be another one, oh, and they get awesome. snow in winter, and San Francisco, well, they get snow in summer. Yeah. <laughs> Coldest winter I ever experienced was Coldest the summer. summer is, no, yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but it's absolutely true. I've uh, I've been there in summer before and froze my ass off. You oh, know? yeah. And you think, really? <laughs> this is in California? Really? Yes. So it'll be an American taking all these American jobs, not an Australian. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so now they know where to hunt you down. Well, plus you got a new house, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're doing the whole uh, American dream right I'm, now. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing everything that everyone else does in their 30s. <laughs> <laughs> I finally got around to doing my 30s. <laughs> yeah. Peak of my career, finding, you know, peak of what I've been working for the last 10 years is starting to mm-hmm. actually get there. This metadata-driven workflows, the content metadata where we have enough metadata that's not too hard to get. Mm-hmm that we can start driving things like first cuts, you know, the serendipity algorithm that we generated that will do a reasonably decent story cut, but given the right metadata. Well, the right mm-hmm. metadata was the sticking point there. Uh-huh. Even though so meta- you had to wait for that to come along, basically. Even though it's like, it's not entirely a surprise that the categories that we put into Lumberjack do match the most important categories that we need for that story algorithm. To what a coincidence. Absolute coincidence, yes. <laughs> And, you know, until we can do it automatically, I've said mm-hmm. easier and earlier in the process is best because it will be maintained, huh, in mm-hmm. theory, through the process. So the uh, the elevator pitch version is this software, one, one part of the software analyzes your footage and pulls out the keywords and puts it in the right place. The other software takes that information and strings together a cut for it. So basically it's an all-automated process up to the point where the editor comes in and polishes it. That's the goal, right? That would be the goal, yeah. And how far away are we from mid? <sighs> Five. Okay. Years. There's a bunch of editors just 
side well actually probably assistant editors just side breaths of relief somewhere <laughs> well it's five years helps upskilling to something else yeah yeah <laughs> our goal has always been to take the boring out of post it's actually on our website and taking the boring out of post is our tagline for mm-hmm. intelligent assistance and by extension lumberjack and when people say that i finished in 10 seconds the work that i had planned to do today mm-hmm. uh, or maybe it was 10 minutes that you know, that makes me feel very, very proud because we're making, we're empowering people to have more of a life to spend more time working on the cut. Because getting that string out is only the starting point. I mean, there's no finished, finessed thing about that. Right. There's certainly going to be a whole range of video that can be built out of templates, mm-hmm. where it's you know product stuff. They're already they're, yeah, they're already online. They're already, you yeah, can do that. You there's know, already family you know, videos you put up and then it cuts together a package. Yeah, and there, but is there an Israeli company that does product stuff? Greg's been working on automation for a company that we've had some dealings with in the past, where mm-hmm. they build in Final Cut or in Motion a template for the way their products get presented, and there's relatively little variation between their product. Mm-hmm. And they are very, very consistent in what they, how they deal with that, with that range of products. So there's always the same shots, same angles, same content. Image 86 is always going to be the, the thing that 86 is defined as. Yeah, we used I'm, to call I'm it. I'm being a little vague because I, I shouldn't yeah, name yeah. the client. <laughs> well, it's similar to what we would do with local commercials and stuff. You, you yeah. create the donut, yeah. you know, and then you insert the local whatever or the product of the week here, et cetera. Yeah, well, see, what Greg has been doing is just automating that. Right. And, um, in fact, Martin Baker had a product for Final Cut Classic. It was a, basically a batch tool. So you'd choose a template, mm-hmm. and then it would build all of the titles out of a spreadsheet for you. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you'd just then be able to drop them in. To... You know, uh, Avid had that with Marquee, the yeah. ancient software that is clunky as could be. But it did have that a long time ago, that you build your style – and then yeah. any Word document you load in there and basically you treated a return as the next line and it treated a blank line. What is it? A second return? How's yeah, a double return. A double return. Uh, that would create a new record. title. Yeah. Then you just go, okay, you load it in and you just sit back and go, generate some all, put some in the bin, and then you go cut it anywhere you want. I think I used it once. Yeah. Click a few simple checkboxes while you're on the shoot and you'll be more organized than you ever thought possible and have a head start on editing if you use Final Cut Pro 10. If you want these benefits, head to lumberjacksystem.com. Automotion. Automotion was what it was called. Gee, I didn't yeah. drink. That was old knowledge. But it, it's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I don't so know. So what Greg's done is created a, an automation that takes these templates. It, it automatically chooses which template to use based on a product description. Mm-hmm. Puts in just in the XML, changes out the shots. Mm-hmm. All the moves and everything are still there and because that's all still in the project. Mm-hmm. And this come back. And so... So that's already replaced yeah, well, several was, operators' yeah, jobs. This, this <laughs> client had a, a gap of videos produced and had to catch up on that gap mm-hmm. and wondered if automating that was at all possible. And then, of course, when it became possible, it was like, uh, could we continue doing that going forward? Mm-hmm. And yes, they certainly aren't going to be... Well, they yeah. let all their editors go anyway, which is how they had that two months gap. <laughs> oh, okay. They won't be hiring any back. Then. Well, we may be hiring one back, but yes. Okay. Yeah, so that's already happening, and it's already if you've got the right clips. And let's face it, what Randy Ubilis created for iMovie, for the iMovie 09 version, the, oh, the 10 uh, version where they the, did the, the, the templates. Yeah, or, the templates. Yeah. yeah. And it was also in that version that they introduced the facial analysis mm-hmm. that said this is a one-shot, this is a close-up, a wide, this has got three people, this has got five people. They were all of the tags that they wanted for the templates. Ah. Throw in a shot with two people, throw mm-hmm. in a shot with a wide shot. Throw in a sh- So they were using mm-hmm. 
the metadata that had clearly been specifically designed to feed into this semi-automatic process. Clever. And it was just thrown did, into fun. Did they use the same face recognition engine that they used in iPhoto? Or? You know, I really don't know. I mean, it's open. I mean, it's a private API which third parties can't use. Mm-hmm. But it certainly should be open to the, the Apple team to use. But at this point, they haven't implemented any facial recognition or actual facial detection beyond the one shot, two shot, wide oh, shot. Yes, yeah. okay. so there's one person in here, two people in this one, three people in that. Mm. It's essentially the same pseudo code, the same design of software that was used in, in iMovie. Okay. The odd story there is that there was Randy's pre-editing tool, producer's editing tool that, that Steve Jobs said, no, no, we want that for our consumer tool. Oh. And that became iMovie 09. Uh-huh. Um, and then Final Cut 10 was based on those concepts because, you know, they were great easy skimming and everything was but built on entirely new code. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, iMovie became a stripped-down version of Final Cut 10. Right. <laughs> so, all the way around mm-hmm. and back to where they started. But there's no facial recognition in there. But Apple have been buying up facial recognition software. A couple of years back in 2011 or 2012, they bought Polar Rose, which was a Swedish company with that sort of technology. So that's for the phones and photos, probably. Though. I think that's 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 been used to enhance that. And of course, I'm still using Aperture. That's not plugging into any of the modern code. I know I have iPhoto, which is why I can't. You know, I mean, an enormous library in iPhoto with all the you know all the metadata and everything in there. And there is a migration path to Lightroom, and of course, Lightroom would cost me not a penny more because it's all part of my Creative Cloud subscription. Yeah. And but, Lightroom's got a mobile version, which is a lot more flexible than what Photos is, because mm-hmm. Photos doesn't meet my needs. I understand what they're doing, but it doesn't meet my needs. Right, right. I uh, can't here. even see my metadata or, or can search by it in either desktop or mobile app, so no. Right. <laughs> um, but migrating to Lightroom, a lot of the metadata gets changed, and every single image has to be reprocessed. <sighs> I, I tend to tweak my images from the, the raw. Uh. And, you know, when you think even if it's only a minute each – that's 30,000 minutes. What's that, 500 hours? That's a lot of hours. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's, the, you know, I, I, the other way I use iPhoto is uh, with the Apple TV. So yeah, I have all yeah. these, you know, because the faces are in there for having a, a, yeah, yeah. A, an event, you know, a dinner or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I can just immediately go, pull the people who are coming, throw them into a folder, and it plays on the TV with the music in the background. You know? Yeah. Nice yeah. thing. Yeah, very nice thing. It all goes away. El Capitan kills iPhoto. <laughs> yeah, replaces it with photos, which is not the same. No, it's not the same. I, don't get me started. Now, fortunately, Aperture's still working, but eventually I'm going to have to bite the bullet and go to Lightroom. But I'm oh, sorry, I've been threatening that since um, since Patrick Palmer showed me that it was a mobile version, an iPhone version of Lightroom that hooked in with the desktop. I thought, okay, that was really the only reason I had against it. So now it's just the uh, 500 hours of work it's going to take me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love re-entering metadata because all facial detection is, all facial recognition is gone. Well, yeah. Then I, I would have to upload it again too. Yeah. You yeah. lose all the facial. Yeah. And I, cause I have everything archived in the cloud. Yeah. 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 And that initially took about four or five months to get all of my stuff. You know, yeah. like seven terabytes up there now oh, or something. Okay. So, yeah, if the whole database changes, even though it's the same picture, but now it's in a different place, that's going to get re-uploaded. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah to me, the, the metadata around my pictures is as important as Same the, here. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to lose all that. <laughs> exactly. I've spent a long time putting it in. Yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. It's been very expensive. Yeah. And that's, that's what we have now is we have you know, really expensive metadata because you've got to have somebody – Sitting down and listening to or transcribing, mm-hmm. 
even Rev charge a dollar a minute, and that's about the least expensive quality transcription you can get. Mm-hmm. And they turn it around pretty quickly. Or take one, they turn it around out of the UK overnight. They can format for more choices and they have workflows that are more specific towards reality production. Mm-hmm. And that's expensive, having an, an intern or even an assistant editor go through your material, make notes, dogging what's in a shot. Right. It's expensive metadata because it's a human being doing it. And I'm trying to cheapen the cost of the metadata because it, once we get the metadata, that's our organization. That's our where we find the stories, where we find our story beats because we see what we've got. Because you know, if I'm organized by this topic, I can see that I've got a lot of material on that topic. And In fact, one of the, the best uses for the string out function in Lumberjack is that you string out of anything that's got more than three instances of a keyword into a sequence, sort by duration, and it's like, well, that's got a minute and a half. I don't think that's going to be a story beat, even though I logged it three times. Mm-hmm. That's 18 and a half minutes. That's probably important. Mm-hmm. And then the associated topic is 15 minutes on logged against that. So very quickly you can see you know, where you've got material and where you haven't got material. And so I think that's one of the most valuable side effects. Quick, uh, a quick assessment okay. yeah, of where your story beats are and finding them. But if we can get to that point without that expense mm-hmm. and, and the time it takes, you know, it's like transcoding. If you have to transcode and it takes three days before you can start even thinking about doing the edit or the logging, you are more expensive than somebody who's using more modern software that can get straight in and start working. Right. Particularly in quick turnaround jobs. I mean, if it's, if it's a long-term job, you know, if you're cutting a long-form documentary and you're going to be working on it for three months, then three days transcoding to, high re- to quality media and proxies at the beginning isn't going to affect you one way or the other. On the other hand, if you've got to get something turned around and out this afternoon, transcoding is going to hurt you. Right. If you've got to do something that requires the organizational structure but you don't have time, or if you spend the first two days getting organized of a five-day period, three days to, to actually do the edit, to polish those beginning points or f- take that and build it into something, if you have th- four and a half days to do that instead, I think that's got to lead to a better quality product. That's, you know, probably the reality is that the producer's going to say, you can do that in three days now. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't need two days that's to log it. That's what it's going to be, yeah. <laughs> That's Sadly, I mean. yeah. well, I can't control that. I can, <laughs> yeah, because that is inevitably the way that people will go. Because mm-hmm. somebody will come in and do a quick cut with it, and then that'll be the base point for the producer from that point forward. Yep. Oh, it should only take three days. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, and an organized producer could probably be organized enough to come into the edit bay with that ready, handy to go. But that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone met one of those people? <laughs> <laughs> it's the world's smallest directory. Um, yeah, no, I, I Mark Rodana said one time that uh, we're responsible for all this ourselves because we keep pulling off these miracles. You know, they give you a shorter and shorter timeline to do something in and, and you bust your ass and you do it, but then that becomes that's the baseline. It. Next time they just think, oh, well, that's a starting point. You know, how much, you know, I, how much shorter can we do it? How much faster? How much, you know? I can't remember the name of the, of the editor... Uh, but it was at the editor's lounge that was at the... Oh, the Veterans Hall? The Veterans Hall. Yes. So I, I went to the Australian equivalent and I, my brain was just on a complete blank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Return Service and League, wouldn't, the RSL wouldn't have mentioned any, meant anything to anybody here. No, I agree with <laughs> But there was a panel there and he said that it's, you know, media composer's fault. As soon as the producers saw how easy it was to change things, yeah. they either wanted everything done quickly or they wanted more changes. Yeah. And so it it is exactly what you're talking about. The more... 
this happens, the more miracles you pull off, the, the faster you turn something around, yeah. the faster it's expected to be turned around. Yeah, each time you think, all right, well, we pulled that off. God, I hope I never have to do that again. No, that's the new starting point. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it is. Well, kind of like, and if our, if our software technology was the starting point of that starting point, I would not be entirely unhappy about that. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else? In the- <laughs> well, uh, that's probably enough about, you know, where we're going to go with MetaDay because ultimately an organized project, we'll use the generic umbrella term that has concepts organized in the appropriate organizational structures, starting points in string outs. You have identified the content of the interviews. You've identified who's in the shots. You've put together the the content of the B-roll images from automatic content recognition and appropriate B-roll. Now you're ready to go. You're ready to start doing the job. Right. But, so, and that's where I see we're going, and that's that's what I've been preaching since you know 2011, 2012. I, my presentation on you know 2009, the great metadata disaster of 2009, started <laughs> me down this path where I lost all my iPhoto met- metadata overnight. <laughs> um, not the images, but the metadata. So it got me thinking a lot more about metadata. So, and well, I remember Lucas Wilson back in I don't know 2004. I think we had an editors' lounge panel he was on, and he was. Hitting the metadata back then. He was like, it's all about metadata. Everything's about metadata. Da, 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 da. You know, he was a big push for it. Yep. So. As I usually say, I never metadata I didn't like. <laughs> so all of you uh, potential loggers out there or people thinking about being assistant editors, you might want to be paying attention to this and uh, planning appropriately. I just think up. Think where can you go from here? Where can be more creative? Because the one thing that it's, the creative decisions are, are a long way away. And I use as an example a really old one from back when I was a, more actively editing other people's material. But I was doing a, a documentary about a young kid called Tim Draxel, a triple threat. And he did the final, well, the matinee performance of Sound of Music where he played Rolf mm-hmm. on Sunday and did a benefit concert on Saturday and did a benefit concert on Sunday where he did Hanky Panky. And 16 going on on 17 and Hanky Panky actually intercut rather nicely. Oh. Now, that is not something that I would ever expect. Even the most miraculous technology that yeah, I yeah, can conceive yes. of yes. that could possibly happen in my lifetime, uh-huh. and I expect to live for quite a while yet, <laughs> <laughs> to have the intuition that that would work. Mm-hmm. You know, putting together a perfectly sensible string out of material from that documentary, yeah, First Cuts was doing that with the right metadata. It was actually producing really nice starting points with the right metadata. Mm-hmm. But would it do something inspired like that? No, I don't think it would. And know how to transition out of have him singing a Christmas carol at a department store concert, mm-hmm. transition into singing in gar- the same song in the garden to his mother? No, again, not something that you'd expect a computer to ever work out. Well, not now. Yeah. AI, Actually, when AI, AI, yes, but yeah, not now. That's, yeah, yeah at, least, uh, at least 20 years. Uh, unfortunately, that take got slightly ruined by the producer saying, no, crying's good, keep crying. Oh, God. <laughs> Drop the sound out. <laughs> Up comes the music. Well, he's coming. For- <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. There was enough of the take left, but it's been a, it's been one of those fun things that every time we're watching a reality show and something really deeply emotional happens, Greg is always going. The producers are going. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yep. Gold. <laughs> Yeah, and you don't know where it actually happened because they're they're not necessarily related, you know. No, they're not. Huh. She says, "I'm leaving you," and he actually laughed in the real world. But you know, the next day he was crying about something else, so they cut it together, and it looks like oh, he's he goes, crying because she's. Motorbike yeah. got a ding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, reality TV should be the biggest beneficiary of this technology. Uh, at, until then, you can keep uh, finishing your projects properly at Alpha Dogs. That's right. And as you know, you can have all of this boring taken out of post. <laughs> well, by, we're a long way there already. By going to intelligentassistance.com. Until then, until we get back together, do something creative. Goodbye. So if you want a team that really cares about your project, no matter how big or small, and you want to make your project look and sound better, come on and check out alphadogs.tv.